Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Scoutcast. My name is Joe. And my name is Seb. My name is David. Welcome everyone and welcome back to the Scoutcast, David. Um, we were together this morning for the captaincy video. <laughs> and uh, But it's been a while since you've done a captaincy video and definitely a while since you've done the Scoutcast. And that's because we've effectively been having two game weeks pretty much every week. So um, yeah, you've been busy running a site. <laughs> uh, Seb, what is coming up on the show? Well, you mentioned it's uh, two games every week or two mm. game weeks every week. Now it's a double game week in a week. When is it not? Yeah. So Leeds and Southampton are the teams involved in that first off. So we're going to have a little look at them, focusing on their teams and players. We'll also discuss the players that we could be sacrificing in the future to plan for future double game weeks. The uh, shields, as you like to term it, Joe, mm. those big players that maybe we could lose and make some gains. Of course, we'll frisk the next four fixtures. David's got a differential for us after your great success, Joe. And we'll finish off, of course, with a look at transfers, captaincies. But first up, I think our points from last week. Yes, indeed. So, um, yeah, there's going to be no uh, rough with the smooth this week, just because we're, we're sort of technically still in the middle of a game week. We've got the second half of the double game week to go. But for many of us, there might not be much more points. So um, I'll go first. So I've got 100 points. Um, but effectively, I've got 90, I've got a 99-point single game week. Because my first, uh, I've got Antonio, and he um, is not was not playing. Uh, I've got Calvert Lewin as my first sub. He is not playing for both of them, so it goes down to Dallas for minus one. So I've got a hundred minus one plus. I have Edison still to play, Loughton still to play, and Stone still to play. And it looks like my captain Gundogan won't play. So I can't complain though. I'm not going to complain about this. Hundred points. Uh, my second century of the season. So very, very pleased with that. Um, for those listening on the podcast, I've got Edison, uh, Loughton, Kufau, Stones, Grealish, Fernandez, Salah, Gundogan was my captain, Suchek, uh, Antonio, not playing, and then Bamford. And then I just talked about my bench there. Um, I moved Justin out for Loughton. 
um, uh, which proved profitable. <laughs> um, I got him for two reasons. One, his cost. He was the cheapest of the Burnley defenders. And to be honest, I thought a lot of the Burnley defenders, apart from Pope, are pretty much much of a muchness. You, if you're betting on me or Tarkowski getting a goal, um, well, you know, you know, you never know when that's going to come. If you're betting on Lawson getting a goal, you, you've got to wait maybe eight years between goals. <laughs> so uh, just so happens, uh, I've got the timing right on that one. I actually... Um, it was an article that Tom had done on Fancy Football Scan about differentials. And he was talking about Loughton's increasing um, attacking intent and attacking threat. So it was partially looking at that, looking at costs. And I thought, he's the one for me. Um, so very pleased with that. Obviously, Justin didn't play. Um, but yeah, I don't, th- I don't think I'm going to get much more than that. Um, if Edison is probably my best bet, I, Stones could get rotated. Gundwan's not playing. Loughton in a defence without me, maybe a couple of points. Yeah, if I can get to 110, I'll be really, really chuffed. But, you know, obviously I'll happily take a little bit over 100. Um, Moving on to you, Seb, not too shabby either. 90 points, but crucially, you might as well have your captain playing. So you wildcarded, and this was your final wildcard team. And I'll just, for the benefit of those listening on the podcast, um, Pope uh, Cancelo Loughton, well done. Uh, Luca Dean. Oh, oh, lucky, lucky. I'll call Luca, lucky Loughton. Uh, Luca yeah. Dean, Shaw, Sterling is your captain. Gundogan, Fernandez, Bamford, Watkins, and Ings. So this is, a, you can tell you wildcard, this is a well set up squad for the next few weeks. And on your bench, Martinez, Rafina, uh, who was my differential last week, um, Son, and Luke Ayling. You've got nothing. So we actually got like technically one point more than Dallas. Um, <laughs> you must be delighted with that. That's a, that's a wildcard success because it looks good going forwards. And you're looking there with 90 points so far. Yeah, I'm pretty pleased. I would say the only the only disappointment really would be Luca Dean. We maybe expected the Fulham match to be where he gets points. So I'm looking forward to him getting negative points overall when City score eight. But realistically, what's that? You know, one one that hasn't hit in the mm. entire wild card. So I'll certainly take that. No complaints from me. Like I say, I think Bloaton was was lucky. I made that move for price reasons. There was mm. some good analysis on him maybe being more attacking. Yeah. But a bit like Ben Mee and Tarkaski, his chances of a return probably went from two percent to three percent. And the goal he scored mm. was amazing. I don't think I'm going to claim that I saw that coming because I certainly didn't. No. Uh, and then yeah, I captain Sterling. I think it was pretty close between, between him and Gundogan. Obviously, before the fact, we thought Gundogan might have lost penalties and Sterling's stats over the last few were very similar, if not slightly superior yeah. to Gundogan. Yeah. So I was happy to stick it on him. And again, maybe I've got a bit lucky with Gundogan being injured. If Sterling can bring me some points, mm. if they score about the same, good times. Yes, indeed. Um, let's move on to you, David. So a little bit behind, but you know, Sterling <laughs> captain to go. So you never know. Um, so you got 70 points and you've got Pope, uh, Maguire, Cancelo, Kufal, Dallas um, in, in your starting 11. So minus one there. Um, Sterling captain, Fernandez, Gundogan, Salah, Bamford and then Antonio. But you've got target coming in. So you haven't got 70 points at the moment. You're 76 <laughs> points. Sorry. So, yeah, you must be you must be fairly pleased with that because yeah. you've got you got all those other players hopefully going to start. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm relatively. I, well, I was a lot happier with how I did in this game week until I saw how you guys got. Okay. Um, but it does, it does rather look like that. That Matt Lowton was really the difference, like in terms of so far. Mm. Like if I've won seventy six points, and can, the reason I want to start with him is also I don't own him. I, I had no structure with which to get him. I was quite happy with my five defenders mm. uh, for this game week anyway. Um, but I, I, I don't want to hear you doing yourself down on on Lowton because it's not just about, mm. um, you know, about him. We, we also did another article on site last week about Crystal Palace's defence on yes. the left-hand side that was just absolutely dreadful and has been for some oh, time. Yes. So so everyone is all sort of shocked. And yes, it's his mm. first goal in a very long time. But I'm not surprised to see him get something. Mm. You know, him having time and space in that area of the pitch it was predictable, in my opinion, because we predicted it last week. Mm. So loads of owners, even if you didn't think about that, you know, there was still there was still some logic to it, even if you weren't aware of it. So don't 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 consider it luck. Consider I'll, it skill. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> That's good for those um, uh, uh, listening and watching. Um, what David just said there is is classic David. It's pinpointing <laughs> a weakness in a in a particular side and a particular attacking threat in another side, and then you can you know you can help a lot with captaincy, which is what we talked about this morning as well so do have a look at the capsi video so it's full of lots of nuggets like that um because there's no rough with the smooth this week um we'll you know we'll that'll be back next week i think if we're well it may not be because we might still be in the middle of a game week then but we shall find out so we can just move straight on for the topic so it's a double game week leeds and southampton it's their turn to play twice so these are the play these are the teams with players that we should be targeting so leeds 40 goals <laughs> they've got so they're a top five attack uh, this season but they've also conceded 42 goals so it's the second worst <laughs> so what you're getting what you're getting with them is massive excitement and that's why Leeds are sort of everyone's favorite second team at the moment it's just goals 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 um yeah Seb lead us through the Leeds chat well they are they are my favorite first team um but yeah so as you as you beautifully set us up there I think we are 11th in the table as we stand and we seem to score as many as we concede, quite literally. Mm. And that doesn't really seem to change that much based on the opponent. Although I would like to have a look at that in a moment. With Wolves and Southampton coming up, we've got a few questions on how we can how we can target leads and what we should be looking at in the week ahead. So we have a question from Karam. Which mm. if which of Dallas or Rafina is the better player to bring in given Bamford will be in many teams already? Rafina the better prospect, but can Dallas be explosive? From Luke, Captain Bamford or Dallas, or a safer single game week like Salah or Fernandez, and then from Tony Awesome, should we triple up on Leeds players? I think a few of us already are probably, mm. especially for those who don't pan to wildcard, so not me there, until game week thirty, as they do play in game week twenty nine, the blank mm. week, which is probably something to keep so in I, mind. I just just for those um watching, I put some stats up on the screen. So as as Seb's talking, um uh, have a look at those. These are for the last four game weeks. And they show those stats there. So we'll, we'll draw on them as, as we chat. But um, there are those stats there. And uh, it shows that Bamford and Rafina are top in terms of certain attacking metrics. But yes, sorry, carry on, Seb. Oh, well, sure. I mean, I could talk about this for an hour and a half. So you jump in and shut me up. But I think there's probably a few ways to attack this question. The first being looking at Leeds overall as a team. Then looking at our attack. So Bamford, Harrison, Rafina, maybe a bit of Dallas. And then the defence. We've got Phillips, Strauch, and then the Dallas versus Ailing question. First off, then, if we look at Leeds as a team, something I wanted to highlight. Now, this is, of course, subjective because I'm going to call it our best 11. But at the beginning of the season, when we signed our players and lined up, what would we think our best 11 might be this season? It would be Melia in goal, Luke Ayling at right back, Cockle Lorente at right centre back, Cooper at left centre back, 
Dallas at left back, Phillips in the holding role, a midfield of Rafinha on the right, Harrison on the left, Click and Rodrigo mm. probably in the middle, and then Bamford up front. Now, there are, of course, debates over whether that is our best team now. We know Dallas is in midfield. That's not so much the conversation I'm looking to have. More the fact that that team I've just read out hasn't played together yet this season. We haven't played a single match where we, in theory, have our best players out. Now, this comes into the conversation about, you know, whether we're playing well, whether we're playing badly, who can take advantage of us. Because I think it is important to remember, especially the defence, probably hasn't been first choice at all, or if only a few matches. Now, we know Cavan Phillips and uh, Strauk are important in that role, and we know they play it slightly differently. But before coming on to that, I wanted to look at how teams can attack us. And maybe if we can predict with Wolves and Southampton in mind, whether we're going to be able to beat them or whether they'll score some goals against us. I think something that we can fall foul of here is that kind of match of the day analysis, which I don't mean that to any discredit to match of the day. It's more, they've got five or 10 minutes to make a point. So they have to pick one thing and really focus on it. For example, Pascal Strout replacing Phillips. That's their thing. And that sounds like the whole reason. That is heavily based on maybe traditional analysis of teams, especially at the top level where they all play zonal and there's loads of different tactics. But leads are probably quite different, especially in the way we set up man-to-man marking at the back throughout the entire team. So when you're looking at, say, oh, Pascal Strauch did or didn't play well at the weekend, his job was effectively to mark Martin Odegaard. Martin Odegaard wasn't in that match. Strauch did a very good job. Phillips could offer more maybe going forward in particular, but defensively, we have seen Phillips as well be very suspect in certain matches. He started the match against Man United in which we lost 6-2 and was subbed off at halftime for Strauch. And it was 1-1 in the second half, I think. So I think it's less about necessarily always our personnel and who they're up against. Scott McDominay, we saw, scored one, two goals Mm. against us, I think. He was bursting through the middle and making Calvin Phillips probably look quite poor. That wasn't necessarily down to Phillips because it wasn't his job to mark him. It was the team in general. And we've seen Arsenal put an awesome amount of pressure on us in the first 15 minutes, really focusing on Alioski, who's playing left-back. I would prefer to have Dallas there, but we need him in the midfield who is not good under pressure. And as teams have worked out recently, if you can have your centre-back split quite wide and play past Patrick Bamford, which they did very, very well at the weekend with uh, David Lewis and Gabriel, you then expose our midfield and you outnumber us and you can really carry the ball forward through the middle and hurt us. And I think that's what we're seeing. So to shut up for a second, Mm. the main question on team is, do we think Southampton and Wolves can do that to us? I would say Wolves, no. Southampton, maybe. Okay, no, that is interesting. I think uh, I think Southampton is a team that <clears throat> that can do that. I think the Wolves play very wide and they like to use their wing back system a lot more. Whereas Southampton very much thrive off a narrow formation, don't they? They on paper it's a four four two, but in reality it's a four two 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 where the wingers um, sometimes support the strikers almost like number tens and they cut inside. And um, we talked about on the captaincy video earlier actually in terms of if we just look at the last four matches um, in, in isolation, um, Leeds have conceded more chances through the middle than, than any other team. And of course, as you mentioned there, three of those games are games where Phillips was in the team. Um, and it's interesting that the, the, when you talk about Phillips in terms of um, understanding the, the, what it means for them to have him and to not have him. And, it's, and, it, and it is more than just tackles made and, and how he defends because the way I see it when I watch Leeds players. He almost defends um, by um, what he does with the ball. He defends by his decision-making in terms of when he passes, how he passes and how he moves it along. A little bit like how Man City would defend by making sure the other team just doesn't see the ball um, because they've got a whole team of, of Calvin Phillips, effectively, you know, players who can make defence-splitting passes. 
So he he draws away that pressure from the back four quite a lot. If you, if you're in a situation of pressure, he won't be necessarily the guy that wins the ball, but he'll be the guy that will play the ball from the CDM position all the way out to Rafinha or Harrison or what have you. So it um yeah it, it's a, it's an interesting debate that it, it, as you say it's more than just what maybe matcher they can show you. We've got time to talk about more things than that. Well, I've got um, I've got I've got some stats up on the screen that you you sent over earlier about looking at leads with Phillips and without Phillips. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, so that's it's, it's a little bit outdated. I didn't have a time to mm-hmm. completely update this. This is from the first nine game weeks of the season, and okay. it shows where in the first five game weeks they had him in the team, and in the in the, in game weeks six, seven, and eight... Oh, no, sorry, it's game weeks one through five and nine okay. on the left versus game week six, seven, and eight on the right. And I will absolutely caveat this with the fact that um it was it was it was a while ago i have some other more up-to-date numbers in a second but it is it is quite scary the the difference that is made and as has already been mentioned like it it won't just be about this particular factor but i do think that there is definitely an element of when he's not there not protecting them Mm. with the way that he moves the ball you end up with these scenarios where um just to pull it up again yeah so they, they basically end up conceding fewer um chances but the chances they concede are bigger so you'll see that um, the goal attempts conceded in the box um, actually go, went down in those games where he wasn't there. But then if you come all the way down to big chances conceded, they basically nearly doubled. So they went from 1.7 uh, with him in the team conceded to 3.7 without him in the team. And the scary thing is, is that sometimes when a team concedes um, some of these bigger chances, they end up putting more blocks in because there's bigger chances that pop up. But even the CBIs went down as well. And just to bring that um, more up to date in terms of the last few weeks, um, you know, it, it's it's been a similar trend. So I've gone I've gone with game week range twenty to twenty three when they had him in the team compared with the Arsenal game, which is a bit risky, of course. It is just one game, and Arsenal, you know, are you know, they can be a good team. Um, it was you know same story. They conceded um, fewer shots, but they conceded bigger chances. So they conceded one point eight big chances per game when he was there for game weeks 20, 21, 22 and twenty three, and then against Arsenal they conceded three. So for me, like if we're talking about them as a team and how exactly we spread our coverage with this risk at the moment that he's not going to be there. And then of course the knock on effect that has on over area, of the team, other areas of the team and Seb's already alluded to the fact that the back four just hasn't been the first choice for some time. You know, you really want to be able to, to have Dallas and Ailing as the fullbacks rather than having to rely for Ailing in the middle. Um, I do think that the fact that the injuries seem to be popping up, and kind of chopping and ch- there's just been a lot of chopping and changing. Like if he could sit down and have Alioski on the left, nailing on in the middle, um, and some of these this makeshift back four, but could have that in place for like 20 game weeks, it'd probably do better than than coming back and then going out again. And the same with Urente. So that obviously is all a big thing. So all, all of these factors are making me feel like I, I wouldn't want to be getting anyone other than if I didn't have Dallas right now. I don't know if I'd necessarily sign him. It, it comes mm. down to of course your chip strategy. Um, which I suppose perhaps is maybe another question, but for me, I've got a wild card in place, so I know that I'm probably going to wild card before that blank game week. Um, so it means that you know, I'm, I'm you know, if I was advising someone who's in the same chip scenario as me and didn't have Dallas, I wouldn't necessarily be going after him because I, I do think that there's well the risk as we saw this week of a minus one when I foolishly started him thinking that Phillips was going to be okay. <laughs> um, you know that can happen. That can happen. So. Um, for me, it's considerably more about the attack in this team for these two game weeks because they have shown that they can still score goals when when they're n- not necessarily at their full strength. Just to go through a couple of other things we talked about earlier mm-hmm. on, on the captaincy video, in the five games they've not had Phillips in the team this year, they've conceded four goals in three of those. 
you know, you've got the Leicester game, the Palace game, and then the Arsenal game. But they've still scored goals in those games. Mm. So Bamford's hat-trick came at Villa Park when Strout, I think, came off inside 10 minutes because he was having a horrible game. I think Shackleton came on to replace him. So we know Bamford can still do something mm. when Phillips isn't there. Um, you know, they've, they've scored in all of these games where Phillips wasn't there, apart from the Brighton one, which was game week 19. Um, we, we did look at a little bit, um, on, again, in the captaincy video, that annoyingly, Bamford only had one shot against Arsenal. And no Leeds player had more than one shot in that game, which is a little bit frustrating. But at the same time, Arsenal have actually defended quite well uh, statistically this year. So I wasn't too shocked by that. But what we did see, of course, was that Rafinha was top of that whole game for chances created. So with him, I think, again, if they don't have Phillips, that doesn't mean that Rafinha can't provide... Um, what he does normally, which is, of course, fantastic energy from from open play, but of course he takes their corners as well. So, um, yeah, th- those so, two players for me, the team setup, it doesn't it doesn't impact them in quite the same way if it's not full strength than it does a Melier or a Dallas or an Ailing. So, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean just I, mean, yeah, I was just going to say, um, I mean, what what we all as fantasy managers want to know is, you know, how far do we go with leads? Do we treble up on them? And if so, which three? And which one do we captain possibly? So Seb, what 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 would you, what would you say is the optimal three leads? Why and which would you captain? I guess of course it does depend on your situation a little bit because we know we play in twenty nine as well. So if you don't have a free hit or mm. your strategy needs you to have players available for twenty nine, you probably do want three of our players. If I had just say a free hit now, a free free hit. I'd probably go for Rafina, Harrison and Bamford okay. just for the most attacking players that have good numbers behind them and are likely to return. I have Luke Ayling, uh, Bamford and Rafina. I like Rafina and Bamford a lot. I would recommend everyone has them. And then it's just your third option. And if you don't have a defender, maybe you opt out. We know Dallas is playing in midfield and he will continue there. I think while I prefer we had either a proper left back or a proper number eight, that's really the thing we're lacking. We talk about Phillips and Strauch. We are really lacking someone who can do that eight role next to either Dallas or Click mm. in the way that, say, Rodrigo DePaul is a player we've looked at in the past, you know, that good transitional creative player, but also can press. So Dallas will play there, and he's probably the one you'd want. But looking at Ailing and Dallas, if they were both to play, say, Ailing always at right back and Dallas at centre mid or left back, I think it's a lot closer than anyone really thinks. I was having a look at a little look in the week at uh, the whole season numbers for us. And this is, a, you know, obviously Ailing's played uh, centre-back here a lot as well. XGI over the entire season has Dallas at 3.91 and Ailing at 3.45. Ailing has no attacking returns and Dallas has six, I believe. So that's arguably an overperformance or an underperformance from mm. Luke Ailing. When he's at right back, we are a much better team because we have that outlet that we need on that right-hand side. And he will get very far forward himself. I was looking at um, some position maps as well. And rather than describing a heat map, which I've tried in the past, we'll look at the average position maps, which you can see in the members area on Fantasy Football Scout. Now, Dallas has played just everywhere. It is dots all over the page. He's played anywhere on the pitch, left back, right back, right wing, centre mid. Game week 23 in our last match, he was bang in the middle, centre mid. He was slightly further back than Click, and he will be the slightly more defensive one, but we know that maybe doesn't matter. He's going to get forward anyway. Luke Ayling is the interesting one. He is almost as far forward when he does play right back, obviously out on the right-hand side. But we see when he's playing centre-back, he naturally slips into that more centre-back position. Still quite advanced, probably a bit similar to as Plaqueta would look for Chelsea. So it's maybe about nailing how we think they're going to line up versus which opponent. 
Wolves, they played 3-5-2 versus us last time. So Luke Ayling was in a back three. I think they're playing 3-4-3 at the moment. So I would expect Luke Ayling maybe to be right back mm. if Calvin Phillips is back. If he's not, we know it'll look more like this week and the defence is weaker. Dallas will play centre mid no matter what. Southampton is the interesting one. Southampton play two up front and I don't think they'll change that. So I think Luke Ayling will be right centre back in a back three. So despite having Ailing myself for the for the price, I'd probably avoid him for this mm. coming fixtures. I mean, I must admit, I owned Ailing pre- previously in the season, um, and when he did play fullback, I was I was delighted. He always looked very like I was going to get an assist, I was going to get some kind of attacking return. Um, but then when he was moved into the into the into more centre back role, nah. It just wasn't wasn't there, but yeah, I agree. I, I, mean, I think I signed him the week he went to centre back. Yeah. But I signed him, and then the injury uh, happened in the game. Was it when Cock came out? I, yeah. I just I just remember signing Ailing for many of the reasons that Seb's already alluded yeah. to about the fact that when they do play fullback, they they are in very similar positions higher up the pitch. And Ailing has come so close on so many occasions this year when he was playing right mm. back, and then. Yeah, that's just a scenario sometimes you can't control in FPL. It's like you made a good decision at the time and then just something completely outside of your control puts your, your marauding right-back at centre-back. Is like, for sure. For, <laughs> for the benefit of those listening on the podcast version, the stats we got up on the screen last four game weeks, they show that Bamford is top in terms of shots on target with seven, then Rafina with six, and then Harrison with five. Um, in terms of shots... Um, in terms of minutes per baseline bonus, so this is the bo- the bonus they get um, aside from goals, assists, and clean sheets. So th- passing, tackling, creating chances, etc. Um, Bamford uh, is getting a baseline bonus point in the bonus point system every thirteen minutes or so. Rafinha every ten minutes or so, and Harrison uh, just under every ten minutes. Um, in terms of chances created, it's Bamford and Rafinha again seven. Uh, each they're the top then Harrison with four uh, it's Dallas has created four chances um, and he's had five shots in terms of shots on target a couple of them uh, on target there um, it shows that Dallas is capable of doing that I mean I have him in my team if I had a blank slate I would go for those top three Bamford, Rafina, and Harrison I think um, I think the fixtures um, are there are there for them Um but I have Dallas, <laughs> so I'm going to go into that with Dallas. I have Bamford. I'm going to get Rafina. I think he, I wouldn't say he's a must. I think he's a very, very good differential. And he was only, we put him in the differentials last week, and he was under 3%, 2 point something percent. Ridiculous, Ali, low owned. I, I can't believe he's not been noticed. I, I feel like normally, I think Gundogan in a way has kind of like shadowed him a little yeah. bit because fantasy managers like worldwide, they just, they absolutely love someone in that price bracket kind of like knocking on their door every week, like mm. doing stuff that they notice, you know, it's not like, cause a lot of the casual managers won't look at some of the stuff that we're looking at. They just look at who scored the goal. So they've looked at Gundogan doing that. It's just mad that mm. Rafinha has obviously not been as good as Gundogan, but in terms of value, it's incredible. And he's just still going unnoticed. So I think sometimes people worry that, Oh, everyone's getting this guy. Um, cause if you look inside the fantasy bubble, yeah. we're all talking about Rafinha no as a must have. Hardly anyone's but, got him. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. He's he's such a powerful if, asset for this if, week. If uh, you were to, if let's say Bamford blanks in both those fixtures, and Rafinha scores a couple of goals and an assist, um, and he's if you captained him, your green arrow will be huge, because unfortunately we have to look and we spoke about this in the captaincy video. Effective ownership, Bamford is already hugely owned. He's in the top ten players that are owned in the game. 
most of those, because of the, t- the double game week, will captain him. His effective ownership will probably be over 100%, certainly over 100% in the top 10,000 managers, probably in the top 100,000. Um, but Rafinha won't be. Um, it will be that differential. So that's what you're looking at, really. Do you want, what size of green arrow do you want? What <laughs> risk do you want with that? So in terms of what size of green arrow do you want, what size of red arrow are you prepared to take? And if Bamford goes absolutely mad with goals and somehow Rafinha doesn't, then, you know, it's going it's to be bit, bad. It's a little bit of shield and sword, I think. Yes. Um, combining the two of them. I think if you're... If you're looking at your team and thinking you've got Bamford and, and you're going to captain him and that's going to do nothing for you, um, you know, the chances of there being, you know, goal Bamford assist Rafinha or vice versa are quite high. And so then if you combine your shield of Captain Bamford with Rafinha, who, yeah, statistically looks really nice. I mean, we were joking earlier because we saw that on minutes per expected goal involvement for the last four matches, you think about how many variables mm. go into that uh, metric. Bamford and Rafinha's minutes per expected goal involvement for the last four matches is the exact same number. It's crazy. Mm. They're both one yeah. every 165.9 minutes. So, And he's a midfield player. So his points potential, arguably, arguably is a little bit higher than Bamford's. But we can't forget that Bamford's going to be massively captain. Yeah. But Rafinha, for me, you said he's not a must. I I, I think he I, I he think is. He is. I, mean, I'm, I don't know if I've got room for him myself, but if I, you know, I, if I don't get a chance to get him, I'm going to be quite scared. If you don't get Rafinha, so... If, if you if you have room yeah. to make that transfer, I would argue well, you I mean, probably should. Yeah, I, I it's, will it's do tricky, yeah. the, the most popular move will be Suchek to Rafina. I think all Suchek owners will be considering that at the least. If Gundogan is out for three weeks, four weeks, I'll make that move uh, as yeah, well. Gundogan is the only one I've... Because, I don't know, I'm really scared of selling Fernandes or Salah. I, I, I'm scared of selling someone so oh. reliable. Um, well, funny you should say because we'll talk about that in detail in a bit. Um, Gundogan really is the only one I can. So I'm actually point one away from getting uh, Rafinha from selling and Ongisa. It's like, are you serious? Like, oh, I might be able to. I might be able to. I might be able to take a hit to get Rafinha in for him and play three five two or something. That might be the only way because it just depends how long Gundogan's out for, and we don't know that yet. We might know more later in the week. KDB could be back soon, so maybe that's something that puts people off him. So. Um, I, have, yeah. I have Sterling for that very reason. And um, before <laughs> before we move on to talk about Southampton, um, Seb, was there anything else you wanted to add about Leeds? Just on the on the captaincy there, mm. I normally argue that don't look at ownership; it doesn't matter. You know, predict the points and captain that player. As you've both put wonderfully, I think it's so close between those two that maybe this is the week where you just make your decision based mm. on ownership. You know, Rafinha is low owned, Bamford is high owned. You you take that as your risk and reward. Uh, dictates. I mean, and then just on. Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, you as a Leeds fan, my my as as a lay a layman <laughs> looking at Leeds, I'm not a professor of Leeds. Um, if if Rafina does well, chances are probably Bamford scored somewhere. Bamford does well, chances are Rafina's done. They sort of assist or score for each other. That's what it looks like. Is that? Am I being too simplistic quite, there? Or, or... Quite possibly. Obviously, Harrison mm. is in there too. Yeah, and I wanted to mention something on him in a moment. One thing to note is that Rafina is on a lot of our set pieces. He was off the top of my head. I think he was taking them all from the right, and mm. Phillips was taking them from the left. But he has now taken over on the left, possibly at least partially. We saw Strauch uh, have two or three really good chances in our last match, and then against Arsenal, he scored a brilliant header. All of those were put in by Rafina, I believe. Mm. So maybe there's a slight edge there where if he's on set pieces, of course we believe Bamford is on penalties. Click traditionally, but Bamford took the last one. 
So maybe that's the toss up. Just you think, you know, we could look at David's research and see if uh, either Wolves or Southampton are liable to scoring from a uh, towering, uh, conceding, sorry, from mm. a towering header because Rafina might assist that. Ah. But honestly, I think it's so close. And then Harrison being the third wheel there, he's good. If you wanted a third player who isn't a defender, go for it. I know, David, you pointed out on the captain video about Southampton's weakness down the right-hand side, especially. Yeah, that's right. I think yeah, that's... You, you name-checked me there. And I was thinking, <laughs> right, where's, where's my table gone? I'll go, I'll go <laughs> pull it back up. If we're looking at where it could happen, then it could be that right flank. But uh, the, the Walker-Peters is, is a doubt again. It's been a massive problem for them this year because they just seem to have no depth there. And they've even like sold fullbacks because that that, they've had Vokins come and play on the left. It's, it's always been a big issue when Walker-Peters hasn't been fit. And it's just, it's staggering how stark the difference is between those two sides. So they conceded eight down the left last uh, last four. They conceded nine through the middle, which is kind of like not too bad top half of the league for both of those. 17 down the right-hand side, third worst in the league. So then, of course, that's where we would expect Harrison to play. So I wish that, because in this debate, everyone's talking about Rafinha and not many people are talking about Harrison. Normally, when that's the case, the one who's not being talked about, Harrison, is the cheaper one. So I was thinking, oh, yeah, okay, well, I can't get Rafinha. I'll get Harrison. Like, oh, great. Well, he's more expensive as well. So, yeah, it's it, it will be tricky necessarily to go Harrison over Rafinha. But if you, if you were to do that, I don't think, again, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world because he could have a bit of a field day. So let, let me give you one thing on that then. So I, I pretty much agree with you, but with a couple of small caveats of Harrison and Rafinha have swapped sides a couple of times in the last few matches. If you look at their touch maps, they do have touches on the opposite side. Harrison was obviously subbed off last match as part of the changes that did improve the match for us. Although I will say 4-0 up, Arsenal didn't need to keep pressing us like they were. So of course we improved. But Rafina actually moved to the left then with Helder Costa coming on the right. So there is a chance you'll see Rafina on the left. And on Harrison himself, his last two goals, I believe, certainly his last goal, came straight down the middle. So if he's up against the weak fullback, that might be more for the assists. For the actual goals, we might see him uh, yeah, making yeah. those runs through the middle. So I think realistically, I mean, what's the crux of this conversation? It's all quite close. Get the three attackers if you can, if you can't get Bamford and Rafina, really. Yeah. 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 There we yeah. go. And, <laughs> and then the, the last thing I just wanted to update on us before I shut up for a bit is um, a few people in the chat have mentioned uh, injuries and whatnot. And uh, Paul has kept pointing out as well that uh, Rafina's a top four player. It's nonsense. He's terrible. Please leave, leave him alone. He's terrible. We want to keep him. <laughs> <laughs> but on, on injuries, uh, it's been pointed out that Berardi's back soon. That's true, although I don't know how close he'll be to playing a match. He's been out for a very, very long time. And Cock and Lorente, I think, are about two or three weeks respectively away from their return. So we're probably safe for this double, assuming that those players won't affect the lineup. Going forward, they may well do. OK, let's move on to Southampton. So they have two fixtures. Not as favourable, though, um, against Chelsea and, of course, Leeds themselves so uh, I've got some stats up on the screen once again these are the last four game weeks and we'll talk about these stats um, as we as we go but that shows guess who is top of goal attempts it's of course Danny Ings so he's a player I'm sure we'll be mentioning um, yeah David Southampton um, yeah they're an odd one aren't they can be hammered can be anyone well, before I start on Southampton, I will just say um, that there's no way I'm going to be able to match um, Seb's level of analysis of this team because not only do I not support them, I'm a Reading fan, so I don't even <laughs> like them that much. Um, you know, I, I don't hate them, but at the same time, I don't love them either. So, um, yeah, apologies if this doesn't meet the same level. It's a tough act to follow. Tough act to follow indeed. It's, but... it's cheating. I steal all my <laughs> opinions from Leeds podcasts. <laughs> Well, I mean, but but their least podcast you want to listen to. You know, I I don't listen. I just I'm sorry. I don't listen to Southampton podcasts 
just I'm not even sorry. I'm not even sorry <laughs> about that. Um, but yeah, as you say, Joe, they, they are unpredictable. I do enjoy watching them as, as a neutral uh, because, yeah, you never know what you're going to get. They, they're capable of being impressive, but also laughably poor in some of the games they've played. Of course, you know, a lot of it comes down to injuries as well. We've seen quite a lot of them um, this season. Um, but they do still have two games, so we've got to think about them. Um, Chelsea and Leeds, obviously, is who they're, who they're playing. Um, kind of, yeah, about as diametrically opposite types of games you could get in terms of a, a team that loves playing an open style that often opens the door for you as the opponent versus a team that has done really well defensively, especially under their new manager. Um, but we've still got, we've still got people considering... Um, yeah, then for the captaincy, so Luke uh, Porsche says is Ings the best captaincy option. Uh, FPL GNG says is Redmond a potential differential now? He's playing as a striker, and I'm so glad this question is in here, Joe, because I'm sure you've got some opinions on Nathan Redmond. Yes, uh, plenty of times. The, he um, is, uh... he's the hero of the goals imminent table. He's a permanent <laughs> fixture. One day his goal will come. It did actually when I got him in. Um, a couple of seasons ago, I think I was in a hospital oh, bed. Was it near the end of the season? <laughs> that was when, <laughs> that was when I was hospitalised, and in my in my crazed state, I got Nathan Redmond in. That's how that's how delirious I was. <laughs> I got him in towards the end of the season. Magically, he kept scoring. Um, so yeah, yeah, Redmond could be an interesting one. Maybe not so much from attacking Southampton point of view, but from Leeds defence. As mentioned, Alioski is probably the weak link there. He cannot deal with being under pressure. He's probably our one player who can't. You know, that's kind of Bielsa's way. We've got a We've got a system that works and we probably just need better players because we match up one-on-one across the pitch. We lose the good players. But on Redmond, I wonder if he's one of those players, especially if he ends up pulling out right from that centre-forward position, who could maybe hurt us. He could probably beat Alioski, I'd imagine. And as we've seen with us, when one individual beats one of our individuals, they're often through. It's a double game week. And who are the heroes of the double game week? It's John Stones. It's Matt Loughton. <laughs> it could be Nathan Redmond. It could be. It could be. Um, yeah, it, I'll come back to Redmond in a minute because I, mm. I do, I do just love that he's come up again because I, I know that there's it's such a great narrative there with you, Joe. I, mm. I love that one. Um, I'll start, I'll start us off on the on the Ings question because I think that's I, I think that's something people are considering a little bit more seriously. Dare I say it than Nathan Redmond? Um, my, my view on the Ings situation is that I'll kind of go back to what I said before about um, I look at this double game week for Southampton almost like not a double game week, but a, a game week and a half in sort of a similar way that some people looked at Everton's double game week. And of course they ended up losing to Fulham anyway, but it, when we were preparing for it, it was very much like one great game, which they, you know, fluffed, but, and then a very tough game. So if they're not going to play, you know, the Calvert-Lewin thing, if he's not going to play in the second one, do I need, should I hold them? That was last week's talking point. So then for me, that underpins this as well. Chelsea's defense has been so good um, since um, Tuchel came along in the way that they uh, have sort of changed their shape gone to a 3-4-3, it's created some impressive results in terms of the statistics that are there. So um, the last four matches, um, they're second only to Man City for um, big chances conceded. Um, They are second only to Man City for shots on target conceded, Uh, goals in the box conceded, they're second. And then their XGC for the last four matches is just 2.01, which actually um, is only 0.21. Uh, worse off than Man City's 1.8. So the actual difference between the way they've performed in those games has been massive. Now, Man City have had harder games, so it's more impressive that they've got that good um, um, good record uh, as well as Chelsea. Chelsea have had have had some, some appealing opponents. But for me, that just makes it really hard for me to look at, say, Bamford and Rafinha, who we've, we've just waxed lyrical about what they're capable of doing 
Um, Southampton's defence, by the way, isn't great, so they're going to have. I think that Leeds will have a lot to do against uh, Southampton. A lot, a lot of you know, a lot of um, enjoyment um, getting attacking returns, and they can definitely get stuff against Wolves. With Southampton against Chelsea, I just I look at that. I think no, 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 thank you. So then, if anything, it's a bit of a hyperbolic thing to say, but I almost see Ings as almost like a single game week option just because of how good this Chelsea defence is. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think, Seb? I mean, I have Ings, and fortunately he scored last week, so that feels a bit like, you know, money in the bank. I'd probably agree with you. It feels a bit like a single game week. Uh, if anything, I'd probably have him for future doubles, or at least navigating those fixtures. I had Calvert-Lewin, and I think we probably all did, and I needed a replacement. And Ings, uh, some people I think are quite a fan of him in the community. I know he's had some big chances recently, which he missed, and he's scored, looked a bit sharper. But really what it came down to for me was having Ings because he fit that Calvin Lewin hole. He could become Kane. He could have some more doubles. And I think, as you say, would you maybe stretch to McCarthy? But maybe even not, because if he doesn't make saves, he could easily concede a couple in each match. Mm, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, Ings is definitely on my list. And I think his future double game, which could be nice. It's just, yeah, in that it, with the captaincy, it's almost not necessarily about how well I think he's going to do in one game it's just the Leeds ones for me they're just it's no it's no comparison really um it's the way I see it what, what about you uh Joe what are you thinking on Danny well, well I'm I've got two transfers uh free transfers for this coming week um as I said Rafinha is a, is a top target um if I want to use the second transfer it's only really going to be for Danny Ings and I'm looking at Danny Ings for the favorable Wolves game for the off chance of two points against Chelsea. But also the fact that he may then have a double game week in 26. He may then have another double game week at some point 27, 28. Um, so he's an investment um, for the, the short term. And also um, looking at the stats, we'll, we'll look at the next four fixtures coming up. Southampton are doing a, a, a top at the moment. So in terms of they've got very favourable fixtures the next few matches... So I think this is probably a good rule of thumb for all double game week players. Would you get them in? Are you getting them in just for the double game week? Are you getting them in for other reasons, other fixtures to come? For example, Rafina, Bamford, get these players in because they play in 29 and they're leads. They're attacking a lot. So they've got lots of fixtures coming up, which you can use them for. Um, that's the same, I think, with Southampton. I like the look of Danny Ings in general at the moment. And Southampton have been recovering from a lot of injuries um, having Vestergaard back, obviously Bednarek there, I uh, feel a bit bit happier <laughs> with Southampton. They, I think they will concede more, but I just think their 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 flow as a team um, is helped by having the regular players back. Walker Peters out could be a problem, um, but yeah, Danny Ings. Look at looking at the stats: three three big chances he's create, uh, created, three big chances in total. Sorry, he's created five chances, had eight goal attempts. Um, scored a goal and four of his shots been on target. I mean, you know what you're getting with Danny Ings. He's a lethal finisher. Um, he's just shy of being on the goals imminence table, even though he did score last week. The goals imminent table would would um, still has players that have only scored once in four matches. Um, so Danny Ings is heading into that territory, those sorts of stats, as in he's, he's sort of technically due more. Um, Redmond is interesting, created seven chances, seven goal attempts. He is a very intriguing differential because he's favoured up front at the moment. So he is um, with Ward Prowse. What are you getting there? You're getting those amazing set pieces, but you look at corners, 17 he's taken. He is the set piece man at Southampton. And Armstrong is interesting, but I don't think Armstrong can compete with Rafina 
he certainly can't compete with Gundogan. Um, so <laughs> that's where I think they're going to miss out. So I think for me, it's Ings or nothing. But I wouldn't yeah. captain Ings. I still think a Leeds player is better. I like Ward Ings. Ward one doesn't really feel like a double game week pick because, mm. like you say, if his threat is set pieces, yeah. predicting those is a lot tougher. You probably have to take you know a group of 10 game weeks and say, mm. OK, I'll expect a return at some point there. Trying to pinpoint it in two matches might be quite difficult to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Vestergaard is back, which definitely helped mm. because he was very consistent threat, and yeah. he went on a good, good score and run actually. So, maybe, maybe now more than a couple of weeks ago, yeah. maybe there's something there. Will Prowse, but I actually, I know what you mean. I something sometimes it can be easy to be like, oh, I'll just get the corner taker because um, sort of um, in a raw sense, they end up actually creating lots of chance. I took that approach with set piece takers for a long time in a way that didn't get you as many returns as you'd expect. As you kind of mentioned there, you sometimes have to look at it over like a 20-match period and, and you can't really afford to give a player that much time sometimes. It feels um, like a bonus rather than a reason, right? If you yeah. like a player and then they have set pieces, that's something exactly. on top. It's a bit like penalties as well sometimes, yeah, yeah. although penalties isn't penalties is a more stronger reason to go with someone. But we, how often do we look at a player and go, he's doing this in open play and he's also on penalties? And Rafinha, for example, he is he is perfect on that because we can see what he does from open play and the corner corners is a bonus. So yeah, I know I know what you mean on on Wall Prowse. Um, yeah, I mean yeah, moving on I guess to the um to the Redmond question, I, I had a little bit of a look at um to try and find. Uh, some data that backed up my general opinion of Redmond, which I know that Joe will mostly agree with, apart from the period where he was really helpful for him, is that he just strikes me as a massive underperformer. Like he's the guy that will get into some really nice positions and put it wide, hit the post. He just seems to love hitting the woodwork. So I went back over um, the last three seasons and looked at how he's doing so far this season for underperformance versus expected goal involvement. And it was yeah, it was quite scary. Like you, you just you don't trust this guy. You, I would you sooner would trust a guy that is overperforming against their XG over a four-year period because it shows you that they're a quality player versus a guy who's underperforming shows you they're getting good positions and they can't finish the dinner. So in the, in the seventeen eighteen season, his XGI delta was minus one point two six. In eighteen nineteen, it was minus three point four three. I mean, that's just huge. So he's expected to of... get goals taken off him by the end of the season. Yeah. If, exactly, yeah. Um, Minus goals. Because of the big chances he was missing. And then, so last season, he actually overperformed against his expected goal involvement by plus 0.22, but his XG underperformance was minus 1.11. So he, it meant that he most of his overperformance was on the assist. And then so far this season, it's minus 1.81. So he still is a guy that you just can't trust. And no. the, in terms of trust, I don't know how long he's going to play up front because it's not like Southampton don't have people waiting in the wings to play centre forward. Like Shea Adams has kind of weirdly kind of dropped out of favour despite having played, I, I think, relatively well as a team player. Seems to have dropped out. See, his last, these, um, what these stats show with Adams, he's only had two starts in the last four. But he's created more he's big chances. He's created more yeah. big. He's had more big chances than any other Southampton player, and created mm. four chances as well. So, you know, he he is someone whose underlying stats suggest that he could get something. But once again, as you yeah. said, well, he could easily come he, back in, yeah. and Redmond isn't up front anymore. I yeah. just think that risk is there. So then, in terms of, but who else to talk about? I do think someone who's going a little bit under the radar is Takumi Minamino. Um, he hasn't played too much yet, but when you consider what he represents in terms of a lone player from a big club who's got Champions League experience, like he is not going to get rested as often as some of the others because they, they, they're surely going to want to use him as often as they can and has had some impact as well. So for the last four matches, his minutes per shot is actually better than things. So he's had a shot every 41.3 minutes. 
and Ings has had a shot every 42.5. Um, the, the, the Ings has slightly more in the box um, and Ings has a slightly higher accuracy as well. So it's, I'm not saying that Minamino is better than Ings, but he certainly likes to shoot quite a lot as a midfielder, of course. Um, his goal conversion rate is way bigger than, than Ings. Is. Uh, his goal conversion rate is 33.3%. So every time he shoots, there's a 33% chance it's going to go in the net. Whereas with Ings, it's just 12.5%. So there is a lot to like about Minamino in that I feel like he's a bit, if you've got space for this kind of luxury punt, I can't see him getting rotated. He's fresh to the team. So in a way, people don't really know how to defend against him because he hasn't played for quite some time. Um, and he just brings that exuberance and energy that I think the rest of the team, it'd be harder for them to bring it in the same way because they've kind of been backs against the walls for quite some time. Like people going down injured left, right and centre, losing 9-0 and, he, he's he's a new face in that camp, and I think that if he was to be, if he got like a double figure haul out of this double game week, I wouldn't be tremendously shocked, to be honest. That's interesting. I quite like. I mean, that thirty three percent conversion rate sounds like an overperformance compared to Wings, but that might take some time to come down. Yeah. In yeah. terms of identifying players, especially that can hurt Leeds. Again, looking at it from a Leeds angle, a bit biased clearly. <laughs> um, I think what most of what you've said backs up the fact that I think Southampton will score against us. Interestingly, we haven't played Southampton yet this season. And we know they've been off recently. They've looked, you know, they've had injuries. They've conceded a lot of goals. But at their pomp, they're probably the type of team that could really hurt us. Mm. Really good pressing, which is, as we've shown, if you press us well, you'll force us into mistakes, which is what we saw. It was really the mistakes that conceded us the goals, but the pressing that caused the mistakes against Arsenal. If they can do that to us, and then a Redmond and Ings, a Minamino or whatever, can actually take advantage, because again, as we mentioned, individual quality. It's not hard to beat Leeds. You just need the players to do it. I could see them scoring for sure. Not to mention, if Vestergaard is back, we know we're not the best at defending set pieces. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think the thing with, I think the thing with those who aren't wildcarding, and you're looking at Leeds or Southampton, which to invest more in. Leeds have the edge, I think, because they have the favourable fixtures. They've got much more choice here. I think with Southampton, you've got some differential punts, but it's mainly Ings you're looking at. It's worth pointing out, though, that at some point this week, it's very likely we'll get news of future double game weeks. So it could be if Ings has multiple double game weeks, he would be, he could be a good investment this week anyway to get in. And uh, just think of the Chelsea game as just a bonus to get in for a player that you'd probably get want to get in anyway. Um, so there to think of. But we've had um, a few more questions about other players as well. Uh, those like Seb who've just wildcarded or considering wildcarding and those who aren't. Um, obviously, with every player you're considering getting in, there has to be sacrifices. And a great way of climbing up the table is spotting the well-owned players that are under that are that are poorly performing. I say not say underperforming, they're poorly performing. And so you can get an edge by getting a lower owned player. So we've obviously seen that, say for example, with Gundawan for a while was much lower owned. He's much better owned now but obviously when he was lower owned you know you reap the rewards there by getting him in instead of perhaps another player so I put a tweet up um, uh, earlier this week and I got you know I think it's getting on for nearly 400 likes my tweets don't get 400 likes so when they do I think oh okay maybe this is a topic to discuss um, so I put up uh, a picture of Fernandez getting nine points and Salah getting seven points um, Liverpool had um, seven minutes of madness um, where Leicester completely hammered them. But you know, they were doing okay for the rest of the, the match. But nevertheless, they lost. It was a poor loss for Liverpool. Fernandes, 
his side drawing with West Brom. And that was, you know, that was, we thought that was going to be a huge haul. But nevertheless, Fernandez comes away with it with nine points, Salah with seven points. And I just said, even when the sides play poorly, they help out our FPL teams, two giants of FPL. And obviously, clearly, lots of people agreed with that. But I've also seen lots of other tweets and various other messages on forums of people playing FBL who want to get rid of these types of players because they're looking at other players. They're looking at Kane, perhaps De Bruyne are coming back as a player to get in. Um, so the questions we've got to ask, Craig says, which of Fernandes or Salah is expendable on a wildcard this week? So in the frame to be dump. Um, FPL Richie, for those of us without Son and Kane, surely one of Salah or Fernandes makes way. Um, my other spot is Grealish. So he's not considering getting rid of Grealish. So before I ask uh, Seb and David uh, what they think about these expendable shields, um, I've got some stats here. So this is the underlying stats, last four matches of the top 10 most well-owned outfield players. So Martinez is in here. Obviously, you're, you're measuring the skills of Martinez um, in a different way. Um, he saves a lot and I don't expect any of these guys to. So at the top, uh, Gundogan, expected goal involvement, well over four goals, created five big chances, doing excellently. If he is injured, obviously, you know, time to move him on if he, if he is injured for the long term. But um, nevertheless, it shows how good he is. But what is interesting is Salah is second. So the second best performer in terms of expected goal involvement over the last four game weeks, second to Gundogan, is Salah. He's had five big chances and he's been expected to be involved in over three goals there. Third is Bruno Fernandes. He's only had one big chance, but he's expected to be involved in over three goals there. Uh, in fact, he has scored three goals, <laughs> as the stats show. And that I find interesting because people are thinking of getting rid of them. But I wonder if they're thinking of that because they want a shiny new toy. Salam Fernandez, as I said, they're helping out our FPL teams, even if their sides are playing badly. Bamford is, is in fourth, expected goal involvement. Well over two goals, scored a couple of goals. So he is performing well. He's only 6.8, remember. Um, think of him in isolation. Calvert-Lewin, when he's fit, is still a good prospect. Scored a couple of goals, expected to score a couple of goals. And then you start moving down to likes of Kane and Son. They're much further down that list. Son is expected to have been involved in barely a goal over the last four game weeks. Kane obviously has been... This is over the last four matches, sorry. So this is the four matches they played. Hence, Kane's been injured. Kane as well is much lower. He's expected to be involved in less than a, a couple of goals. Um, and then you start getting within that group, you've got the likes of Cresswell and Cancelo. So you're getting these, these attack-minded defenders. So Cresswell is expected to be involved in, in, in just over a goal. Cancelo just under a goal. So they're mix, mi mixing with the likes of Bamford, Calvert-Lewin, doing that same kind of uh, picture. But right at the bottom of the list is Grealish and Aston Villa and Grealish's attacking stats have dropped off a blooming cliff ever since I got Grealish in three or four weeks ago. I've got an assist out of him over that time. He's 7.8. He's taken up a midfield slot. He's had no big chances. He's expected to be involved in around three quarters of a goal. I'm not sure what three quarters of a goal looks like, but um, Grealish is scoring that. His <laughs> um, actual goals, none. Expected goals, non-penalty. Um, 16th of a goal? Is that a thing? Um, chances created, 9. So his, his assist potential is still there. But the rest of it, he, he, he's not competing. Salah and Fernandez, the stats, the eye test, tell me they are competing 
Grealish is not competing. So that that's my conclusion for that. So back to FPL Richie. For those of us without Son and Kane, surely one of Salah or Fernandez makes way. My other spot is Grealish. Get rid of Grealish. <laughs> but Aston Villa got lots of double game weeks coming up. So he's facing a situation like I am at the moment. I've got Grealish, but is he taking up a spot? Expendable shield. Seb, what do you reckon? <laughs> Expendable shields. I mean, on, on Grealish, I think... You're right, and their defensive stats have declined a bit as well, if I remember. Mm. I think Grealish is the one just because the doubles and the potential fixtures, I maybe just want that in there for the opportunity. Salah and Fernandez pretty much top of that yeah. table. I think we have to take into account, obviously, their price here and whether we're going to captain them. Because with a player of that price, I need to be able to give them the armband. And even though they are returning points, and uh, Bruno Fernandez created zero chances against West Brom, by the way, although scored a brilliant goal, so maybe it doesn't matter. But I'm not going to captain either of those players in quite a little while. I have Fernandez. I don't have Salah. I had to choose to lose one of them if I wanted to have Sterling, who I want to make KDB. I very badly want KDB back. I want Son. I want the option of also getting Kane. I've got Ings. I've got you know my three Leeds players. I had to sacrifice someone. And I chose Salah, not because he won't score points, but because I don't think he'll score enough, especially without the armband, to make up for what I'll make elsewhere. Mm, I'm actually going to go the. I'm going to go the other way, and so I bo- I own both Salah and Fernandez now. And as I was alluding to earlier, like I I'm really reticent to sell either of them. But if I was forced to sell one of them, I I would I would probably be actually looking at Fernandez just because of the fixtures. Because the way that Man United seasons panned out, we're expecting fewer double game weeks from them in the next few weeks than we would be for Liverpool and for some of these other guys. Um, the fixtures that they've got are actually. Um, pretty horrible to be honest Man United so after the Newcastle game which I'm, I'm definitely not getting rid of Fernandes for that um, you've got Chelsea and Man City away um, and, and that's really tough especially when you consider the way that Man United tend to set up in these bigger games he, you know even under Solskjaer he, he has a little bit of Mourinho in him there somewhere because you look at some of the big games they've played recently Man United Arsenal 0-0 Liverpool 0-0 Man City 0-0 and Chelsea 0-0 this season and you just get nothing out of Fernandez because United aren't adventurous enough in those games to warrant having him there and the thing is one thing that I think is one of his most uh, impressive features that goes under the radar a little bit in the fantasy community which is not knocking it of course because we're all after the goals and assists what he does for that team he's so good off the ball and the way that he helps kind of um, grab everyone by the scruff of the neck and 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 get his roll his sleeves up and get and get his hands dirty like winning the ball back. Um, he's really good at that. And then so sometimes he gets turned to doing that in these big games and he gets told he's not a big game player. But I think he is. He's just in these big games. He's getting asked to do something that we don't like. Mm-hmm. And there's not we can't say that's wrong because to be honest, to get the nil nils against Man City and, and Chelsea uh, this season for Man United was probably an impressive achievement based on the fact that. You know, they're defensive. I don't think they're that great defensively, United, and haven't been for a long time. So that's always going to be there for these games. And um, whereas Liverpool, um, Everton at home, Everton's defence hasn't been very good. Sheffield United is always a bit of a tricky thing. You you always get fewer points than you expect in those games, but it's still not bad enough to sell. Fulham, again, are kind of a similar team. Um, but when you look at... Um, if it's a choice between Fernandez and Salah, you've got Fernandez against Chelsea and Man City versus Salah against Sheffield United and Fulham. Um, I'm, I'd be more expective of, say, a penalty mm-hmm. if we're thinking about that as a dif- difference maker against two teams that are threatened with relegation. You know, um, we've seen a lot of these teams down the bottom end of the table 
they're normally the ones that give up the penalties against the the players that know how to stretch them and ask questions. So for me, between those two, it, it, it will be a Salah keeper and a Fernandez sell. But at the same time, that's me answering this question on the scout cast. That's very, very different to sitting there with my actual team mm. and selling Fernandez for one of these other guys. I think I was just going to say, I probably agree with your analysis, but I was a week earlier in my decision. So I had Man, I had Man United oh, against yeah, West yeah, Brom, yeah. which is probably just why I went for Fernandez over Salah because I wanted that West Brom match. Going forward, I think you're probably right. And depending on what we see with this week with injuries, I would even be tempted to lose Bruno as well if it got me, say, a KDB. And I'm not making a transfer this week, but if I, you know, if Gundogan's out for a bit, maybe I get a cheaper player there and have Sterling and De Bruyne. But I think, as you say, it's it's close and it maybe depends on your situation. I'm going to keep Fernandes and Salah because um, I think I can just... Because because they're I don't think at the moment they're expendable shields they're ticking along nicely, um, as I said nine points seven points this week the team's not playing particularly well and yeah so I think you know they they're both on penalties they can get those at any time um, I think they are shields I'm prepared to keep I've got a player in the bank at the moment I don't know who that player is but name me a player that's seven million but I got I'm sitting there with seven million in the bank um, and so we've got the likes of Kane. Um, KDB all these players I can get in I don't need to get rid of them so if you don't need to get rid of them don't (laughs) but if you do then I think what David's saying around the fixtures Fernandez arguably on paper would be the one of the two to go Um, but it is a tough one Um, I mean I'm looking at the these underlying stats here I'm looking at you know the eye the eye test looking at them and it's Double game weeks are annoying because Grealish should go. He does. He doesn't deserve a place in our teams at the moment. Um, so, but then looking at Son and Kane, I don't think pairing them up is deserving of a case. So I'm looking at say the next double game week, say with Spurs playing, and I'm looking at just getting Kane in, maybe captaining him. I don't know. Depending on you know what what the fixtures are, um, and and Kane's performance, but getting Kane and Son. When we've got all these other amazing players, um, I'm not so sure. Um, also, I've got a bench boost still to play, and I don't know when I want to use it. And I think the bench boost is really bad. <laughs> I think it's a really annoying chip that alters the way you play the game, and it alters the way I play the game. I like to plan, and um, and so for example, game week 29, I want to keep some Leeds players, maybe a West Ham player. I've got the bench for that, so. It makes me think I don't want to use the bench boost, but then I've got the bench boost in the back pocket. So I think I'm just going to use the bench boost probably when I wildcard around game week 30, 31. I'll find fixtures there where a single game week bench boost will be advantageous. But at the moment, it's 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 a you know it's a something it's a weight around my neck. <laughs> I don't like it at all. I would say on on the bench boost, I think as you're clearly planning to do, and I know some people did well with it this week. Mm. You aren't forced into playing it. I'm planning to use it in 26, but I'm not going to do it if it doesn't look good. So I've got transfers. If I can make those transfers to get a good bench boost, I will. If injuries come along, I'll leave it. There are going to be other other opportunities. We're going to see other doubles. We're going to see strong benches even without doubles because of, you know, the players we have in our team. So I don't think you need to force yourself into using it. I think you can just use it when the moment looks right. Yeah. And we saw people forced to use it when, when Leeds were playing Brighton, single game week for them. Um, they'd all everyone got it in their heads they were going to use a bench boost in game week whatever it was and so they just did it 
And, you know, and it was a single game where Leeds didn't actually perform as well as they were expected to. Um, just one of those things. So it fell flat. And a double game week, you know, on the theory, they're going to play twice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you're wise to consider it definitely for game week 26 because so many teams will play twice. But um, we're talking yeah. about, you were talking about, you know, the, the shields and what players we lose, yeah. I guess. If you're holding your bench boost as well, you're obviously incentivized to keep some money in mm. the bench itself. If we're looking at not losing Salah and Fernandes like yourself, you probably have to sacrifice Son, Kane, yeah. as you're saying. You might not get both of them. If you do have a cheaper bench, maybe you can squeeze those players in. Really, for me, if I had all the funds in the world, I'd have Salah and Fernandes. I'm not saying get rid of either of them. It's a budgetary thing for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll, just, I'll just put a picture of my, t- my team up, gaming 24-1, not just because I'm showing off got 100 points, but look, <laughs> look at the bad bit. Right, no, no, right, 99, Joe. Right, 99. Right, 99 points. 99, look in the yeah. corner there. Mitchell, no points. He's 3.9. He's been there forever and he's not going. <laughs> so that's why, that's why I can think about getting these other players in and not having to sacrifice because I've got the likes of Mitchell there. And if, you've, if your bench is all, you know, good bench because you're going to bench boost, but well, then you don't have that option there. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. Who yeah. who will come out it's on top of that? It's hard to tell. It's interesting also because you've mentioned that the flip side of that is what the impact that has on when you play a wild card as well. So a lot of people are trying to work out when they play their bench boost so they can work out when to wild card on the logic of could there be a benefit to stacking your bench yeah. as a dead end and then wild carding yeah, yeah. to a scenario mm-hmm. where you actually have more sort of like mobility and flexibility in, in having some of these better players? Because I think... I mean, I'm not saying that I'm not going to do this, but I'm certainly very um, uh, appreciative of the logic that if you bench boost after you wildcard, you might have to make some... Uh, to get the best bench boost out of a wildcarded squad, you have to, when you've used your last opportunity mm. to change all your players and take no hits, yes. get a bench that damages possibly your main squad, as yeah. sort of, like Seb, you've mentioned there. Like, if you... Um, it might force your hand into having to not have to go without Kane or Son to make your bench better. So I think that's something people have to think about as well with their chip strategy is if there's a route that allows you to bench boost in a way that looks effective before you wildcard, there could be some advantage to that because then your squad for the run-in is never is never kind of weighed down. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I think for those like me who are considering wildcarding after the blank game week, that strategy just doesn't fall nicely in place annoyingly because you we're keeping we're using our benches for cheap players that say West Ham or Leeds um, for the double game weeks when they're not playing twice then they can come into their own uh, during the blank so ideally you're not setting up to dead end your team on a on a great bench boost you're just setting it up to dead end your team on a you know flexible cheap bench that you can just put in um, so yeah I just think the way the season's going the way I've I always think like with strategies and the way people play the game is very different and and I play in a particular way and whether whether it ends up getting more points or less points um I wouldn't enjoy it if I played it another way so I'm just going to play it my way and and whether that brings in points green arrows or not so be it, but at least I'll have I'll have done it my way, as Frank Sinatra and Sid Vicious once sang. I was going to say, can't you sing that for us? <laughs> yeah. uh, one point I've had a few. <laughs> <laughs> one team I would love to point out is Leicester. We've obviously looked at Villa's form maybe declining, but they do have good fixtures. The reason I would be interested in them is because they potentially have good doubles coming up with good fixtures. Hmm. 
we see that Leicester have some okay fixtures, I believe, okay. ahead. And I know Vardy. I don't think I don't think he appears on your table there, but possibly because of reduced minutes. Well, let's, 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 I think let's put the fixtures minutes, up while you're saying that. It's a good segue. So I think um, <laughs> I think um, Vardy comes out quite well if you go per minute rather than just absolute numbers. And then you were mentioning you had a seven million slot in your squad. There's Barnes. There's Madison. Is that someone we should maybe be looking at? For the double myself, mm. I was originally considering Justin in uh, as one of my transfers, and Ricardo Pereira interests me. So I, mean, I actually sold Barnes to get Sterling this week, which is just, oh, so it, I instantly wanted him back. He, he, he's been really helpful for me over that period. I just felt that the Liverpool game, you know, um, and the, the kind of allure of Sterling. Um, so, yeah, Barnes is, is certainly uh, on my radar. So the picture we've got up on the screen is the season ticker for the next four fixtures, which includes um, the double game week that we've got in game 25. We don't know the double game weeks in, uh, for 26 yet. Um, so, yeah, for this section, it's just worth pointing out that we're partnered with Football Index. And so there may also be players to look at buying through um, that format. So with Football Index, you can buy and sell shares in players using fancy football knowledge uh, with the aim to make a profit. Um, so, yeah, what we've got up here is... The season ticket, it's sorted by difficulty. So the absolute top team to invest in, in pure fixtures, not form, fixtures, is Southampton. Chelsea and Leeds next. Then they have Everton, Sheffield United and Brighton. I actually think that Brighton's quite a tough cookie to crack at the moment. And same with Sheffield United, it could be. And who knows with Everton. So I'm not sure they're going to be top. But nevertheless, they do have favourable fixtures on paper. Um, Crystal Palace are there. Brighton, Fulham, Tottenham and West Brom they've got next. It's all going to depend on Zaha back. If Zaha's not back, don't bother. Um, Leeds, I think this is more realistic. Wolves and Southampton, great double. Then they got Villa, then they got West Ham and then they got Chelsea. So their next four fixtures are great. The next four matches rather are great. Uh, obviously game at 29 um, takes a... same. Sorry, game at 28 takes a bit of a hit with that Chelsea game. And then you've got West Brom... Um, you know, if you're interested in West Brom, Burnley, Brighton, uh, Newcastle. De- Dianya has been... Is, yeah, now he is. I, I sort of wonder if people sign Dinia. Yeah. One letter away from I know. who's actually in pretty just decent a t- form, He's just so. a typo away from a fullback <laughs> position. Um, and then we've got Liverpool here. And this is why I'm keen on keeping Salah. So he's got Everton. And Everton defence have been quite poor. Um, and so has Liverpool's. Um, then they got Sheffield United. And then they got Fulham and then Wolves. And then there's that Leicester that Seb was mentioning. They got Villa, Arsenal, Brighton, and Sheffield United. It's a good run. I think investment in the likes of Barnes, Vardy, Jamie Vardy as well. Um, you know, could be quite shrewd. Nice differentials. Don't get clouded by the double game weeks. Just think who's good, who's on form, who's got good fixtures. And that's Leicester. Brighton and their defence magically is performing as they were expected. And that's expected in terms of expected stats. Uh, Crystal Palace, West Brom, Leicester and Southampton. Then you've got Tottenham, West Ham, Burnley, Crystal Palace and then Arsenal. So good set of fixtures there. Especially the Arsenal one, I would say, as a, as a derby. But then you, when you're looking a bit further down, we can see why David was talking about possibly Fernandez being expendable. Yes, they have Newcastle at home next. But then Chelsea and Man City, the two toughest defences at the moment. And then West Ham United, who are very capable of um, stopping any side. And, the, and Fulham right the way down there as well. They've got Liverpool, Man City in the next four. Arsenal, horror fixtures. City, Leicester, Burnley and Tottenham. Um, and I say, see, I think I look at the Arsenal-Tottenham 
get the derby as better for Tottenham than Arsenal for some reason in my head. But, you know, I'm sure Arsenal fans um, might have a go at me about that. Um, and then West Ham right at the bottom. And this is why I'm thinking, nevertheless, that they play in blank game week 29. Um, they've got West Ham, have got Tottenham, City, Leeds, Manchester United. So I think the likes of Soufal, Suchek, Antonio and his hamstrings, um, it could be time for them to go. Um, I might keep one for the the blank game week just to see, but um, I'm, I'm going to start moving them on, really. I think it's time. But yeah, looking at those fixtures, either you two, you're looking, I mean, you, Seb's already mentioned Leicester. Anything else spring to mind? There's one player I'd like to call out, maybe more than a team, is mm. Marcus Alonso. Maybe we wait three or four mm. weeks. I think off the top of my head, they have very nice fixtures after 30. Yeah. And okay, we know there's possibly a chance he plays one in, uh, sorry, plays two in three, maybe misses one. But he looks like the better choice over Chilwell as far as Tuchel is concerned. And if he does play, we know the weapon he can be. Mm. Yeah, David, what are you looking at these fixtures and, I mean, the next four or five and anything spring to mind? Yeah, I don't think there's too much more than, than what you've already mentioned other than, yeah, the doubles that we may get. Mm. you know in the next couple of days could could change my mind on a few of these things um you know we'd certainly shoot aston villa higher up the list if we're expecting them to get the games yeah. that they're they're having which we kind of already talked about with Grealish uh, already haven't we um yeah it, it, the thing is on this particular subject i've i've used the season ticker slightly less this season than before not not that i knock it at all i think it's a fantastic mm. tool but it's more just riding the season as it is i found it really hard to plan beyond like two weeks three mm. weeks this season also home and, and away um, is out the window isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so then there's a lot of factors we would normally rely on um uh, so i think that um we we have to kind of ride the waves as they come usually with very short notice before we make a lot of our decisions so yeah um that that's that's still something i'm doing now i i don't i don't have a plan in place uh, I, I don't want to put one in place because I don't like kind of setting everything up and then it all tumbling down because of a fixture announcement. So yeah, it, it, it's annoying because I I actually love planning. Mm. Anyone who's kind of like yeah. um, heard the advice that I like to give on these on these videos over the last number of years, I love spotting these these swings and going over the fixture list. But unfortunately, this the scenario and the circumstance that the world has kind of thrown at us. It's um you have to yeah you have to kind of ride the terrain a little bit more than usual. Um, before I ask uh, David for a differential pick, um, I just want to say that with the Football Index, they've got a seven-day, £500 money-back guarantee. There's a link in the description below to sign up, as well as a link to check out full terms and conditions. This is for 18 plus only, and please gamble responsibly. Uh, please do check out BigGambleAware.org, and there's a link for this as well in the description as well. So last week, uh, I picked Rafina, which was a bit of a cheat, really, because we all know he's really good, but hardly anyone... He's in hardly anyone's teams. He'll be in a few more teams, but he's not going to be in that many more teams. Um, so, yeah, he, he got an assist and he's got a double next. Um, a good differential, I think. So, David's turn next. Um, follow that. <laughs> Who is the best low-owned 5% or under gem for the next four matches? Well, yeah, I mean, tough act to follow, I think, because, yeah, Fidio, I think, is going to do well this week. May have even picked him if, if you hadn't picked him last week. But, mm. you know, that's fine. I won't hold it against you, Joe. Um, I originally came into this thinking I was going to go with Harrison um, when I uh, you know, was looking at some of the stats we looked earlier about how bad Southampton have been on that on that side. Obviously, Seb has mentioned that Harrison might not necessarily always be in that area of the pitch. And, um, yeah, I've, I'm actually, I've actually talked myself into going with Minamino instead um, because we're looking at the last four weeks we're looking at the next four weeks and I actually prefer I prefer Southampton's fixtures uh, at the moment as they are 
on paper to um, to Harrison's as well. And uh, while you were going through the fixture ticker, I was just uh, bringing out one final comparison to to lock that in using uh, minutes per expected goal involvement over the last four matches, uh, where I can see that Minamino won every 219.5 minutes, which isn't amazing, but it's better than Harrison's of 315.2. So that was the clincher. I think I think with the fixtures they've got uh, and the fact that he's, he's quite a good player and he loves a shot more than yeah. Ings, apparently, uh, at the moment. Um, it's a small sample size we're basing this on, um, which to me suggests there could be more to come because, you know, he's not quite not quite, you know, in the in the rhythm of things yet, but I think he will be. He suits Southampton's style perfectly, um, you know, in terms of the high press and, and the energy that they go with. So, yeah, yeah. Minamino is my differential pick. said Stones, Loughton, Minamino. These are going to be the double game week heroes. Um, so, yeah, I think I think he's fair enough. Every time he plays, he, he looks he looks like he, he looks like he cares. He looks like he wants to score. He's got a lot to prove, to be fair. Yeah. You know, he's, he's gone to Liverpool... Um, it, with a f- thoroughly deserved transfer, mm. I would argue he's not been used enough. Um, you know, maybe there's something behind the scenes that I'm not aware of that Jurgen Klopp is. I, I'm sure that's absolutely believable. Bearing in mind he's a much better manager than me, but um, there is definitely something for him to prove. Southampton is the best place for him to prove it. So if he doesn't start hitting the ground running soon, then arguably his future at Liverpool is on the line more than just Southampton. So okay. yeah, he's got to do it. Okay. Um... When, when when you first said it, I wanted to say no, but I think that's more. <laughs> But I think that's more because it's not a name we've heard a lot because it's not something we're seeing in the fantasy sphere because, like you say, he was maybe not playing at Liverpool. We weren't aware of him. That's probably quite a good example of just me falling for a cognitive bias of going, that's not in my frame of reference, so no, I reject it. <laughs> but really, when you look at you know the facts you've presented, I don't hate it. Fair no. enough. Wow. It, I'll, I'll settle for I don't hate well, it. I'll take, I'll take that. <laughs> to be honest, he's better than Grealish as an FPL asset at the moment. And people will go... Well, talking about well he is exactly that's the thing which is so used to just going you know Grealish is a name yeah you sort of gravitate towards that don't you but I guess the you know that's the point of a differential find points that other other people aren't finding okay let's move on to game week 25 and our transfer and captaincy plans so I'll go first um I've already alluded to it um but I've got Edison in goal um Loughton playing West Brom uh Dallas uh, and Stones. I've got the vice captain on Dallas at the moment just because um, he's got two fixtures, but I haven't made my moves yet. I've also got Grealish, Fernandez, Salah, Gundogan, Antonio Calvert Lewin, and Bamford is my captain at the moment. On my bench, uh, Jed Steer somehow still there. Uh, Mitchell I've mentioned, Suchek and Kufal. So I'm, what I'm looking to do is one of Suchek and Gundogan, if Gundogan is injured for a significant length of time, will go to Rafina. Um, that's definite. Um, then I will be looking to double game week announcements. If Southampton get a double game week in 26 as or 27, as well as 25, yeah, Danny Ings is going to come in for one of Antonio and Calvert-Lewin. Probably Antonio, because if Calvert-Lewin is fit, I do fancy Calvert-Lewin against that Liverpool defence, um, especially some of the, the, the way they're communicating with each other at the moment. Liverpool's defence, I yeah, I would like to have Calvert Lewin against that. Um, so Antonio would probably go for me uh, for Ings, and that was that's probably what I'll do. I'm not going to take any hits there. And then the following week, I'll be looking at whichever of Calvert Lewin and Antonio I don't get rid of to to Kane, Harry Kane, um, and that may be my lot <laughs> for double game week 26. But let's see the fixtures. That's for next week's scoutcast. Um, so that's me, um, Seb. Uh, just for the benefit of those listening on the podcast you've got Pope Ailing, Cancelo Shaw Rafina Son Sterling Gundogan 
Fernandez, Bamford, your captain at the moment, Ings as well, um, Martinez, Watkins, Loughton, and Dinia on on the bench. So uh, yeah, I, you're not making any changes, are you? I mean that's that's great, and you've got Loughton against West Brom on your bench. I will, yeah, I will make no transfers. No. If Gundogan's injured, I'll probably just play someone from the bench. I want two transfers for next week so that I can make at least two for the doubles. That was part of the plan that I laid mm. out. I knew who I was bringing in. I can take a minus four if I need to. And this is, I think, the only time up until game week 29 that Luke Ayling will play for me, which is one of the other reasons mm. I went for him over, say, a Dallas. Yeah. I just won a 4.4 on my bench the rest of the time. I just have him for the double. Okay. And then on captain, uh, I think we said it's a toss-up, isn't it? Yeah. That might change. It will definitely be Bamford or Rafina. Yeah. And the vice captain will be not someone from one of those teams just in case something happens. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking about as well. I might still do that. I don't know. They are the two best captaincy shouts, I think. But Fernandez against Newcastle at home, not too shabby. David, uh, let's look at your team. Got Pope, Maguire, Cancelo, Dallas, and then Sterling, Fernandez, Gundogan, Salah, Calvert-Lewin, Bamford, your captain, and Antonio. And on your bench, you've got Target, Kufal, Anguissa, and McCarthy. So yeah, I'm not goalkeeper, mm. but I've got such a big decision to make because it's tough. I, I wouldn't be massively shocked if Pope outscored McCarthy because McCarthy seems to have kind of forms tailed off a bit, you know, no no safe points in either of the last two games. Southampton's defence looking quite poor. It really relies on him getting the saves in those games mm. to justify starting him against, over Pope, who against West Brom, I think, can keep a clean sheet and get saves now because West Brom are starting to pose a bit more of a threat, but not enough to me to make me think that they, that Burnley can't keep a clean sheet. So it's a tough decision. I'm just not sold on what, it. I've what, had McCarthy for a while. So what if, what the if Ben Mee's out? What if Ben Mee's still out? Yeah, that that maybe makes a difference. Mm. But in a way, if in, I don't, I just Pope is Pope. I think he can. I think he can keep clean sheets behind quite a lot of. I mean, Burnley's defense has hardly been non-obliging this year. Even when they've had me in the team, we've been looking at some of the stats that they've recorded over some periods, and and they have been even going into that double game week they're in like the bottom six for xgc i think but it doesn't mean as much when you've got a goalkeeper like pope who hmm. i believe is still top of the league this year for xg prevented so it's a tough it's a tough decision because i i i i, I wouldn't be i just wouldn't be shocked if pope outscored mccarthy so it's a tough call for me to make and in a way i brought pope in for the double game week thinking oh this would be nice it will give me competition for places in the next game week and now i hate myself from a week ago so, so, um, <laughs> so what what, what uh, transfers are you, are you planning you mentioned about yeah, so, rafina possibly yeah rafina is probably the most likely in terms of how i do it like i said it is a little bit challenging um because um yeah it probably comes down to gundawan and how long he's out for the problem with with pep is how often do we get like a proper prognosis in terms of like how long they're going to be out for. It's quite rare that we get that. If it's longer than, if we get not much, it means he's probably not out for a long length of time. KDB coming back maybe makes a difference, but I don't want to be brave enough to just sell Gundogan now before I've seen him and De Bruyne play in the same team again, because Gundogan was even playing this more advanced role when De Bruyne was there, uh, when De Bruyne was playing false nine, I think against Chelsea. So there's still the possibility that Gundogan can be good, Maybe he's even better when KDB mm. comes back if they're getting better service to a to a guy that's basically running in to stand underneath the crossbar quite a lot of the time. So it's a it's a really tough decision to ditch Gundogan for Rafinha if the information I get from Guardiola isn't concrete. 
or it is concrete and it's like he's going to miss one game. So that that for me is hard. My my backup plan in terms of how to get Rafinha would probably be to sell on Gisa and downgrade someone else, probably Maguire. But but again, that's going to be hard to do against Newcastle. Um, it would be more in terms of a long-term view um, with those tougher fixtures they have. Mm. You know, the, the problem is, which is frustrating, is I want Ings as well. But in terms of reaching him, Again, that's hard because I'm going to have to downgrade somewhere. I'm just not sure where that's going to be. Maybe it's Fernandez, but again, that isn't going to be this week because their fixture this week is you, quite you, good. And I already own Calvert Lewin. Have you got one or two transfers? I've just got one transfer and 0.7 in the bank. So I, I'm, I'm in. A, I'm actually kind of tempted. I, I could also just do nothing because, um, and then maybe um, I could, I could get rid of Antonio do if he's going to be out for a bit longer. But in terms of the replacement, again. It's hard to get to someone I like in one move. You know me. So. You know me I don't take a lot of risks. Um, but if I was ever to take a minus eight, and I think I've taken one this season, this looks like Anguissa, Calvert-Lewin and Antonio out for Rafina, Ings and whatever you got left. <laughs> that looks like, and I think you would get profit from that, from Ings and Rafina alone. Um, could do. I could do. I mean, the the problem is, I, I, I again, this is something I learned from you actually, Joe. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna if we're gonna sort of uh, yeah. play tactics and that sort of thing, is I don't like selling a guy if I feel like he can get something in that game with. Yeah. And Calvert Lewin, as we've already said, if he is fit, because a lot of the decisions I've got to make are very much press mm-hmm. conference dependent. Yeah. If Calvert Lewin is fit, I don't really want to sell him no, for this Liverpool game Liverpool, because I think yes. he can get something. And yes, more Antonio, if he's, if he's fit and firing and not tweeting about his love life. Um, you know, then he's going to be in a situation where I still think he can get something. So, it's, it's I hate it when we are at these point crossroads in a season where, to, in order to get to other players who I'm mm. maybe not even sold on, I have to sell players that I have some faith in. It's really t- tough. So that's why I think I might even just do nothing because I don't mind going into this game week with not that many double game week players. Mm. Um, if it means it puts me in a better position to reshape yeah. for the bigger game week. Of course, I could wildcard right now, but I really do just want to hold that for a little bit later. So. Yeah. Seb, what do you think? That, that, that was going to be my question. Yeah, that was going to be my question about the wild card. So I guess it's a case of because it's so easy just to focus on that next game week and go. Because me, I you know I should have a team that is set up almost optimally because I wildcarded last week with literally these fixtures in mind. I planned it all out. So injuries might change that, and that's fine. But you're in the opposite position. So unless you're going to wildcard, you probably shouldn't have the ideal team for this week, and probably yeah. trying to force yourself into it could cause you problems down the line. Like, I yeah. don't I don't hate Joe's moves. I'd be tempted myself. Mm. But you probably need to know what you're going to do in 26, 27, 28, 29 before you can make this decision. Because if you say, for example, you have the free hit and therefore don't have to have Leeds players for 29 in your team already, maybe you don't want to take minus four getting Rafina now because he's only really useful for this one week and then you wouldn't use him anyway. So I think it's a balance. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 my chip strategy is it's not set in stone kind of what I mentioned earlier in terms of I just I can't this isn't the season to set it in stone for like three or four weeks in advance and I, I am sort of tempted because I've spent the last few weeks I've I've, I've basically I pay a mortgage now at the target bench club I just I, he's been on my bench so often and it's only through my own luck mm. and uh, from Antonio overexerting himself a little bit too much that he's going to come in so there has been quite a lot of times where the team I've got right now could maybe not that far it's not that far away from bench boostable in 26 and then that might allow me to i i, I don't i part of me likes the idea of taking a few hits to get a nice bench boost squad for 26 
without the wild card mm. and then play the wild card afterwards knowing that I don't have to stack my bench anymore and I can afford to get a Mitchell or a Kilman well, or, I mean, or something like that to sit in the corner so Kuf- that's at the Kufal, back of my mind Kuf- as well. could go for a Villa another Villa defender can you get a Villa yeah you could go for uh, yeah I've only got target right now so yeah I mean that's that's doable too I think I'm, I'm at one of these tr- tough positions where there's so many different mm. routes I could take that yeah. are all very very different that's, that's why I'm asking I'm, questions about I'm, I'm intrigued by yeah. this it's like it's like someone <laughs> it's like 1982 and someone's handed me a Rubik's Cube and I'm going ooh what's <laughs> this I wonder, I wonder if it's worth like. looking at so 26 is probably the big one we're all looking at regardless of Leeds this coming week and just ignore your current team and build a team within budget that you would want for 26 and maybe mixing a little bit of there of, you know, what players would I want to hold after 26 as well? And maybe that starts giving you the clue of how close is my team to that? What should I be moving towards? Because you could easily fall into the trap of spending points on getting the ideal 25 team yeah. and then being further yeah. away from the team you actually want for the rest yeah. of the season. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, I, I think it's not to do Leeds or Southampton any injustice because I think they're great teams who can get good points out of this game week. But if there's one double game week out of the ones we've had recently and the ones coming up that I could kind of swerve getting sucked into, this would be the one I would choose because there's only a double game week for two teams. So, And and there's some decent single game week fixtures available too. So, yeah, I mean, what it maybe all, all boils down to, how many times have we seen people go with, if in doubt, just do nothing, mm. hold a transfer. It gives me a better chance of well, reshaping the team I want for 26 without having to take hits. With a team this week I don't hate, um, I, I might just do that. But as I said, it will come down to those press conferences. If Calvert-Lewin's ruled out, if Antonio's ruled out, then I've got decisions to make. I'm going to yeah. have to make them now. So it's very much TBC. OK, just before we go, I want to remind people about the members area at Fantasy Football Scout. That's something we've been drawing a lot on for um, our expected stats. Uh, in particular, but also uh, all, all sorts of stats. And, and the comparison tool as well is very, very useful. Um, also, um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to put a picture up on my goals imminent table, but do check that out in the members area. Uh, Nathan Redmond, I'm sure, will be there. Um, do check that out. And please also do to subscribe um, so you can keep up to date with our latest videos and podcasts. Uh, and press like if you've enjoyed this episode. In the meantime, it's a goodbye from me. Say goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye all.